the best way I've found is definitely word of mouth. So if, if you can get people to push it that aren't you, like people listen a lot more and it's not someone pushing their own thing. So when someone else recommends the newsletter to a friend, they're much more likely to subscribe than if I've reached out um, with like a cold message to someone and said, hey, would you sign up? Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronena Inbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. On today's halftime snack, I'm hosting a legendary human being. Coming to the show all the way from the UK is the author behind Sports Pundit, a weekly newsletter that shares some of the best news and trends from the business side of sports. He also works for a company called CSM Sports, where he does tons of research and finds unique data and trends in sports, which he then shares on the newsletter. So go grab some snacks because today's show is about to go down. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Marston. Thank you. That's a very good intro. Welcome to the show, Andy. You and me, we have a lot of co in common, mostly because we both write sports newsletters and we both send it weekly. So I want to ask you, why did you decide to start a sports newsletter instead of, let's say, an Instagram page, a simple blog or any other form of media? Why newsletter? Sure. So I started the newsletter. Um, Back in the summer, when we were actually going into lockdown, I'd already been writing a few a few blog pieces on LinkedIn, and I figured that a way to re-engage with an, with the same audience, um, it was better to put it into a weekly newsletter. It also is a platform that's sort of stood the test of time. So if I was to build up an Instagram following, uh, it might be that Instagram is no longer where the audience is in like a year, two years from now. You've already seen things shift from one platform to another. So email just seemed a safer bet. Yeah, I agree. I also thought that if you want to go deep into sports biz and I go uh, also deep on sports tech and other topics in sports, I feel like writing is the most complete way in which you can communicate ideas and, and stats and facts and stories. It's the most complete way, I would say, And I want to ask you about what's like the process of building a weekly edition. Like, how do you go through like what's step A, B, C, or how do you do you have like a template or how do you what's the process? Yeah, I agree with the writing thing. I um, I like to try and keep them quite concise because it's in an email format. I try and keep everything to 250 words. So whenever I write anything, it's quite a good process in terms of like getting rid of words that aren't needed and just making it more concise because If someone's reading it on the go, they don't have time to read Waffle. And if they want to read articles that go into more depth, then I often provide links to like where I've got my inspiration from. There's like so many good sports media outlets that do long form content. So I just try and focus on the trend and link what's going on across like a number of different stories into one article. It's interesting that you say about the 250 words. Do you have any specific reason why you chose 250 and not, let's say, 400 or something? Or is it just like it was, it was trial and error and then that's how you decided? 
Yeah, so a little bit of both, but um, generally, like, it was more just from looking at it on on my phone. So when you're writing on a laptop, it can be very easy to write, like, a, like a big article and it not look that intimidating on a Word document. But when it goes through to email and you start scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and you realize how long it is, you think, like, I'm going to read all of it because I've written it and I'm interested in it, but like how many other people are going to bother scrolling to the bottom of this story? It came about just sort of as a way to try and capture attention. And yeah, it also just, it worked to make me just think about what I was saying a bit more as well. So I'm not sure the exact phrase, but it, sometimes it's, it's easier to, it's easier to write a long essay than a short one. What are some of the benefits that you've realized that you get from translating what you read into a proper form article what are some of the benefits that you've realized of writing well it's definitely it's definitely already helped me um one with like just discipline of having to write something every week so there's weeks when you're feeling really creative and you could write like four or five articles and there's other weeks where you really can't even muster the energy to write one so having to do it every week and get it out at the same time every week is quite has been quite good in terms of um just setting like some structure and discipline especially because a lot of the other structures of like the work week have gone so that's been quite good and then um beyond that like the the connections i've made from from writing it like the subscribers that i've interacted with have definitely been the biggest benefit of it like just having that network of people that you get to have interactions with and talk about ideas and you definitely get a lot more opportunities coming your way than than if I was just um yeah not doing it so yeah I agree 100% I I also see the same benefits that you mentioned and I would add one and that would be that I feel like when I write I structure my thoughts so I kind of like understand the topic better And so I, I wouldn't say I've become an expert about the topic, but I understand it better. And so if you if you want to have a conversation about that topic, then I feel like I'm more prepared to actually have an opinion and have a, a point of view from which I can I can uh, comment and, and have a, a more meaningful discussion. I want to know what do you think as a creator? What's the ratio between the quality of the work and your ability to push out the content for people to see? How, like, as a creator, what do you focus on more and why? So I think it has, to be, it has to be about the quality over the quantity because if you just keep ramming stuff down people's throats, they'll stop, they'll stop subscribing, they'll stop listening. It will just end up in the junk mail. Um, you need to make sure that every time you send something to someone, it's something that they're going to value and that they're going to want to open and they're going to want to read. So... I would rather I would rather not send something out than send out something that I don't believe is offering them some sort of benefit. So it needs to bring value to the other side because that's the only reason they're going to open it. Because for me, it's very easy to think that everyone's going to care, but like you learn quite quickly that no one cares about your project as much as you do. So you need to make them care by giving them something back for wanting to read it, and that's generally going to be some sort of insight or something that they might not have picked up on before or just just a concise version of events so they don't have to bother trawling through news feeds trying to find out this information. I remember the first time one of my subscribers unsubscribed and I took it very personally you know I, I felt 
uh, I was in pain. I was, I was sad. I actually reached out and I asked, why did you leave? Was I doing something wrong? Is there something you didn't like? He never answered back, but I feel like as a creator, as you mentioned, you feel like everyone cares, but you need to, you, I feel like you, you're hundred percent right. You need to make it so good, deliver quality that they can't ignore. And that's how, that's how like as a creator, you actually get the attention of the readers. I don't know if you read uh, Peter Thiel's book. He talks about if you build it, will they come and see it? Think about a, an artist that paints like Van Gogh or Picasso. If he paints something, but no one sees it, then does it really have any value or not? So I feel like the value is also, also comes from the viewer and the reader who appreciates the content. So it's also about finding creative ways to get people to see what you write. Don't you agree? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, obviously you still do want to get as many people to read it as possible. Um, so you do need to try and find ways to, ways to engage people, which is quite a good learning process in itself in terms of like learning how to market yourself, learning how to push content without coming across desperate or annoying people that do read it. But yeah, the the best way I've found is definitely word of mouth. So if if you can get people to push it that aren't you, like people listen a lot more and it's not someone pushing their own thing. So when someone else recommends the newsletter to a friend, they're much more likely to subscribe than if I've reached out um, with like a cold message to someone and said, hey, would you sign up? So yeah, 100% Andy, I agree. I feel like for me, the hardest part of writing each week is the first line. The first sentence of my email is the one that takes me probably like 20% of my time when I'm writing the article. I don't know if, it, if it's because I'm trying to come up with the perfect first line or the first opener uh, to, so that people read it or that it's, it's how it, it will dictate how I will write the, the content. So this for me is the hardest part, but do you know what's the, the hardest moment for you when you're building a weekly piece? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes wording it can be quite difficult. I, ge I, generally have, I generally have topics in mind that, like, or a trend that I want to talk about. So sometimes I'll have written parts of a newsletter like weeks in advance. And then it will be trying to tie in like that, that insight to something relevant and something that happened that week. So like the sustainability piece I wrote last week, I wrote a few weeks back the like core of that, but I wanted to tie it into uh, Harlequins had just launched a new shirt made of recycled plastic and microplastics had just been found on Everest. So I was like, right, that's too relevant pieces of news that have come out this week about sustainability. So this would be a good week to post that post the data that I've got. So then it was just trying to like, trying to tie in the relevant, the weekly relevant stuff to the data that I already had mm. and merging the two. Nice, Andy. I want you to tell the audience and the listeners of the show who should write and start a newsletter? Who is, because I, I get asked this this question a lot. Should I should I start my own blog? Should I start my own newsletter? Should I start writing for myself and then keep it for myself? Who do you think like what what are the things the indicators that you think are the ones that 
say that you should open a newsletter or start building in public or publishing content online. What do you think about that? I think there isn't really necessarily any qualification that you need to have in order to do it. Like I'm not particularly accomplished in the field of sports business at this point in time. I've literally, I got a job at CSM in August last year. So I've only been working in sport just over a year. So I would say it's more about having a passion for what you want to write about and having a drive that means that you're going to write something every week and that you're going to want to put out content on a regular basis. I think the drive is what's going to get you through it, not not necessarily being accomplished in that field or having the most outstanding CV in that field. It's definitely all about enjoying it and wanting to do it. Yeah, I agree 100%. I also think that starting is not as hard as being consistent and delivering the content every single week. I feel like most people fail because they get frustrated that they're not getting enough subscribers or that they're not uh, being read by uh, the amount of people that they, ex they expected or they compare themselves with other people that are already 25 steps ahead. So I feel like they fail because they're not able to be consistent. I would say that's the primary killer of creativity because, and I also want to, I want to talk to you about that. How do you come up with the ideas of what you want to talk about? What's the creative process of deciding, okay, this is super interesting for me. This is something I want to, I want to write a piece uh, about next week or in two weeks. How do you find yourself emerged in these ideas that push you to write and write every single week? Yeah. Well, first off, with the um, consistency thing, I think that's a really good point because it's, it's so easy to give up or to look at someone else that's doing a podcast or doing a newsletter and be like, they've got thousands of subscribers, I've got hundreds, and then feel almost ungrateful for the ones that you have got. And then you just kind of have to value that, that core base that you do have because that's what's going to be like the basis for your growth. And it's, yeah, it's very easy to get to get jealous of what other people have and to judge yourself against something that's definitely not a fair comparison because you, you could be comparing yourself against someone that's got like way more backing than you or they've invested like loads of money into building their brand or it might just be that they don't even have that big an audience but it just looks like it from seeing it from the outside so I think it's very important to just kind of keep your head down and work on it and just keep building it. Um, the inspiration comes from from being in the industry so it comes from like just things I come across at work I come across a lot of a lot of industry reports at work because I work in research and insights so a lot of reading um, company strategy reports and stuff and then also just I listen to a lot of podcasts so as well as as well as this brilliant podcast you have I also listen to like are you not entertained and um, leaders sport business and unofficial partner there's there's so many good sports business podcasts and experts will say something or they'll bring up a topic and it will just spark something that makes me want to write about a certain topic that week so yeah it's generally brought about by a news article or something I've heard interesting so you basically get across a lot of content during the week and then whatever resonates the most with you then you you decide that that's what you wanna you wanna write about. Is it? Am I yeah. right? Yeah. So I kind of like 
I'm basically like a sports business aggregator. Okay, and I take all the sports business news and then try and like churn out something that shows a trend within that content that's that I've listened to. Uh, is there any specific part of the sports business? Uh, could it be like data or finance or the economics or transfers? Is there something specific around sports business that you know you want to become an expert in or it's just or it's just you're you're a big fan of sports a big fan of business and that's that's where your interests meet and that's what you love and that's what you want to do i do keep the content relatively general but like my like my specific interest within sports business is in like sports partnerships and, and sports marketing because that's what uh, csm do so building an audience that's interested in sports marketing is probably the most beneficial and also the most interesting to me because that's the field that I'm sort of working in and that I want to progress in. Looking at like sports sponsorship, how different brands are activating, how they're trying to engage with different audiences across sport, uh, how they're using data to try and um, work out where they should put their money, things like that. You're, are you planning on becoming a, like a consultant or you want to keep going with the newsletter and see where that takes you or what's your plan? So at the moment, my plan is to is to work in to go from research and insights to partnership development. So working on the on the sales side of things. So CSM represent loads of different sports teams and companies, um, and they approach brands and try and sell try and sell the rights on behalf of the sports team to different brands. So that's like the immediate goal. Um, and then further down the line, who knows? I think it would be, I think it would be naive to sort of say I've got a specific job in mind because it will probably change a lot in the next five, ten years. What I've realized also from from writing is that people start, for some reason, people start seeing you as an expert, even though you might not think you are, because of the fact that you actually write about those things and you publish them online and. You put your, yourself out there. Kind of, it's funny because your your brand is is kind of associating those things to who you are and what you like. So out of a sudden, you might be reached out by a company that's interested in partnerships, and they actually want to know what do you have to say and what's your assessment on the matter, because simply because you wrote about it. Don't you agree that that's insane? Because it's basically like developing a degree on sports biz without actually you know paying for the degree in a way yeah so that definitely was was part of the motivation when i started was was to build up a network because it's so it's so valuable to have contacts across the industry and across just just life really um especially when you're trying to work in partnership development it's all about being able to connect with people because when you when you have something to go with or when you have something to lead with if they've already heard of you because you've written an article on partnerships when you approach them trying to sell them a shirt sponsorship or something like they've heard of your name they've heard your name before they're more likely to listen to you or give you give you a chance to give your elevator pitch or your sales pitch than if you are reaching out and they've never heard of you and they don't know who you are and or even just like if you know someone within the company because they subscribe to your newsletter. You you have someone you have some sort of connection that you can call upon 
and say, hey, um, would you be able to introduce me to the director of marketing at your firm? Because I have this really cool opportunity I'd like to um, discuss with them. It just gives you that. It just gives you that uh, extra thing to call upon. That's awesome, Andy. I want to end it here because it was super interesting. You're an absolute legend. I want to thank you so much for your time, Andy. You're a great guy, and I'm sure the sports pundit. Uh, if you haven't signed up, so go sign up right now. Uh, the link's going to be in the description. And find Andy also on, on Twitter. Yeah, man, hopefully after the pandemic ends, uh, we can meet up and talk more about sports and business. But for now, thank you for uh, snacking with us, Andy. Cheers. Thank you very much. Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other halftime snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week!